My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer is Adeep Desai. Hello. Hello. And also as special guest is Hugh Fink. Hello, Hello. Hugh. Hello. I feel like bachelor number one on the dating <laughs> game, which I was, by the way. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. 1986. Really? I was on the dating game, and I was chosen. Get Whoa. Oh, yeah. Oh, you were chosen, too. It's for one of your other broadcasts, but yes, I was. No, no, it's for this <laughs> one is? right oh, now. Really? Let's yeah, just jump it. into this. Okay. For goodness sake, sure. Hugh Fink, who is, uh, who is uh, an award-winning comedian, writer, and producer, and Bachelor number one. So tell me, <laughs> tell me more. So as a kid, I'd watch that show on TV with um, Jim Lang was the original host, and there were a lot of comedians who'd go on the show, and they were hilarious, and they usually got picked. So when I moved to L.A., I was a young, unknown comedian, but I got on the dating game. I had to go through a process, and I was really funny, and they're like, oh, you're good. So I had a simple strategy, but I took the strategy probably farther than anyone has in the history of the show, which was no matter what the question was from the girl, I would use something from my stand-up as the response. No. <laughs> so it was so weird because she'd ask me questions, and... I would just shove these jokes into the answer that barely had to do with the answer. And at one point, the host, who's now married to Neil Simon, her name's Elaine George, oh. she looked at the camera and goes, who is this guy? <laughs> but it proved, sure enough, when it came time for the bachelorette, whose name was Alexis Alexander, oh, to, wow. to pick, she said, I'm going to go with bachelor number one. Excellent. And we went a trip to romantic, <clears throat> excuse me, Houston, Texas. No. It was 105 degrees <laughs> in August. Continental Airlines. Oh. Yeah. So so uh, what did you do once you got to Houston? Well, that was what's cool is I was so career-driven mm -hmm. that I had already researched that there were certain comedy clubs in Houston. Uh, yeah. so, and, and Alexis was really gracious. Huh. She basically said, I don't know what we're going to do. So I had this whole agenda. We went to a comedy club. Uh -huh. I did a guest set, got booked for the future, so it was a good business trip. We went to a Houston Astros game and saw Nolan Ryan pitch. Oh, that's I'm a big cool. baseball fan. We went to Gillies, <laughs> the famous you know place from the movie Urban Cowboy, where mm -hmm. John Travolta rode the mechanical bull. Mm -hmm. So we just made it a cultural experience in Houston, Texas. That's so cool. you just pretended really you were out with your best guy best friend. Guy. Oh yeah, kind of. <laughs> Pretty much. Hey, you want to go? So there was no love connection there. there, was, there was... It was like it's interesting because there was a bit of one, but I was so I felt so out of my league because she was a little older and she was an actress, and I just uh, felt intimidated. But uh, I think she really kind of was into me, and we got together a few times after the date, but alas, nothing really happened. That would, you know, that would be such a good just 
documentary even going back yeah. and finding out what happened to all after the people every day. Yeah, like because <laughs> that back, would be cool. back yeah. in it wasn't like The Bachelor now where everything is so contrived, right? right? They actually sent these people on dates. Well, not I want to know if they slept together. That's not to I'm bring on. your show to a we were turned but the dating game was in the news this week. This serial killer, <gasps> Rodney Akala, who's been convicted of numerous murders and he just got arrest, convicted of two more. For his defense in front of his jury, he's because he's nuts, he showed a tape of himself on the dating game no. in 1978. Here, let me take out my reel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know what? It's creepy. You can yeah. go on YouTube and what? see this future Ted Bundy type on the dating game. And the weirdest thing is the girl says something like, if you were a fruit, what would you be? And he said, a banana. And she goes, and what would you say? And he goes, peel me. <laughs> How creepy is that? It has a big grin on his face. There's sort of a clever thing to that. Kind of clever. It's clever, but unfortunately, you know what? I think I would have picked the serial killer. You would do. I think I have picked serial killers in the past. Yeah, there was a quote from um, the woman who picked him, Mm -hmm. who said that when she met him backstage, she was so creeped out by him they never went on the date. Oh, really? She had a sixth sense. Yeah. Isn't that wow. interesting? Wow. That, that is. Oh, and, man. and that would make a movie, too. But yeah. here's very Hollywood about me. I saw him in the dating game, and he had luscious, long hair. Mm-hmm. And now, as he's being sentenced to like his 30th murder, still has the long hair. Really? I wow. thought, wow, he's got a good head of hair. <laughs> yeah, what an ass. It was so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is this is good stuff. This is not in your bio. Well, I didn't mean to get away from your No, bio. this no, is good. Perfect. I'm going to read your official bio, uh, which does not mention the dating game. But then again, you know, many things aren't mentioned in bios. Um, uh, you were actually uh, a writer for Saturday Night Live alongside Will Ferrell and Tina Fey. Um, you not only earned a reputation for fearless lampooning of sports and pop culture, but you also appeared as a commentator on Weekend Update, which is so cool. You were there seven years? Seven years. Yeah. So I started and left with Will Ferrell. Wow. Yeah. Now, did did he like you writing for him? Was that... He liked me writing for him. I, I wasn't a guy who wrote more for Will than other cast members. Mm-hmm. Like, there were a couple of writers, Adam McKay, who's become right. his main collaborator, right. who wrote a lot for Will, and that's sort of how they became big writing buddies. But um, Will and I got along great, and I thought he was fantastic. So, I, you know what, before we read any more, let's talk about this. So how did you get that gig, and then what is the, the process like being a, a writer on the inside? The, the simple answer to how I got the job would be two words, David Spade. Huh. David was a friend of mine. He and I shared a comedic sensibility when we were stand-ups of, of making fun of celebrities and pop culture, and we got along great. And he got on the show as a writer performer several years before you know i was there but he was kind enough to he had me write hollywood minute jokes remember his famous oh, yeah. saying hollywood yeah. minute mm-hmm. i wrote jokes that got on the air oh cool and he couldn't you know go to saturday night live and say Hugh Fink wrote these jokes but he did tell them hey there's this really funny guy in la a comedian he'd be great for the show mm. <clears throat> took a few years i yeah. i submitted stuff didn't get hired was really bummed, thought that, well, my dream of being on SNL is never going to happen. I really did just sort of go, it's not going to happen. Of course, mm. a year after I gave up on the dream, I got hired, yeah. which is a real lesson. Yeah, give up. Um, <laughs> yeah, is that correct. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> but that's, I think, to get on that show, it's extraordinarily hard to get on unless 
there's someone inside the show who knows your work and likes you. But then also, if you're on, that doesn't mean you're going to stay. Not on. at all. There's, oh there's, my gosh! There's I a mean, turnover. Oh, I think my tenure there was longer than most writers. And then, and so then, how? All right, how do you? Uh, what's the process like, and how do you keep your job as a as a writer at SNL? Well, the process is there's a purity to what Lauren Michaels has created, but it's also extremely pressured and competitive. It's basically that every week you start anew, and whatever idea you want. You can write. There's no saying, oh, stay away from this subject. There's none hmm. of that. And you have to inc- think about who the guest host is because if you watch the history of the show, the guest host is in more and more sketches. It used to be that they would only be in maybe three yeah. or four. Like now early, early on, the model mm-hmm. was different. Right? Now sometimes a host who's eager or has a big ego or whatever, yeah. they almost in everything. Yeah. So you got to be acutely aware if you're writing a sketch of, is there a part for the host, and will they like this part? Because they have a major say in what gets picked. Oh. Um, but ultimately, there's a table read on Wednesday, and they read around 40 sketches out loud, and the cast performs them. I mean, really performs them. Sells the crap These out of them. These are cold reads, though, right? No, oh, no, in the sense that they've seen them that morning. Uh, so I wouldn't uh, call them a cold, cold read. Okay. But they haven't had days to rehearse. Right. But they've had time in the morning you know, to look over everything. And by the way, the night before, two nights before, I'll go to a cast member and say, take a look at this sketch, if it's written. Or at least I'll tell them what I'm doing so they sort of have a sense of it. But they, we read everything out loud. And um, then Lorne Michaels retreats to his office with the guest host and the head writer and a few other people. And they pick what's going to move forward, meaning not what you're going to see necessarily on the final show, but what has potentially chance to get on the air. Because they basically do like 12 to 14 sketches leading up to the show you see on the air, and they cut stuff. Okay. Before they shoot? Right. And there's, there's a dress rehearsal, rehearsal too? There's, or, a, there's or, a full dress rehearsal right. Saturday night. It's right. actually really fun to attend if you yeah, ever want. Yeah, that's what I hear. I mean, it's, it's done as if it's live network show. Right. But four sketches around will not survive that dress rehearsal and will be cut. And then even going into the live show, they sometimes, oftentimes, go in long, mm. which is kind of crazy. <laughs> Meaning on the fly, Lorna Michaels will Lorna Michaels will cut a sketch two minutes before it's supposed to be on. Oh wow! Uh, so it's wh- kind of really heartbreaking if you're the writer or the star of a sketch that yeah. you're geared up for your thing to be on. And I've been through this many times. They'll go, yeah, it was just cut. What, what did you – now, as a, as a writer, what did you learn by the first selection process in terms of sort of what grabbed them on the page and then the second so- selection process with what grabbed them live? Well, one thing I learned, and I was going to talk to you guys about this, is sort of my approach to comedy writing because all I do is comedy writing, is – it's one thing to write something that's funny on the page. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to how it sounds out loud. Mm-hmm. And with sketch writing, all that really matters is how it sounds out loud. Mm-hmm. Because that's the art form. You're not getting any props for something that seems amusing on paper or witty. It's all about, does this make people laugh when actors are saying it? So you have to be so aware when you're writing a sketch of, if this is being read out loud at a table read, forget even being on television, just in a live room, is it going to elicit laughs? Because 
if it's not, it's probably not going to get picked mm-hmm. if it doesn't get laughs in the room. And even if it does get laughs in the room, I've seen this many times, is it going to get laughs when it's in front of a studio audience on television? Got if it. it's not, you probably shouldn't write it. So as you're writing now, are you imagining it being read out loud? All like, the time. I mean, I think that's, as a stand-up, it used to be I'd write for myself. So it's always about envisioning me saying it on stage and what the response is going to be. Now that I write for other people, same process. I'm constantly visualizing and hearing the rhythm of how it's being said. And at Saturday Night Live, I was very hands-on with talent, even guest hosts telling them how I wanted it read. Huh. Hmm. And usually they're very open to that. Hmm. Because it gives them some direction. Yeah. Right? And they want to be successful, right? Totally. Now, look, some people are so – Alec Baldwin doesn't need to be told that. Yeah. He's so <laughs> comically gifted. Right. Um, but a lot of actor, musician, sports people, yeah. they may have good personalities, but they're not innately comedians. So you need to tell them how you want it said. Now, our- how, did you find, you know, as they were sort of incorporating more celebrities into it and giving them more sketches, did you ever write something that made fun of the guest? All the time. <laughs> all the time. Sometimes it got me in trouble. Oh, really? But I did all the time. In, in f- trouble with Lorne or in trouble with the celebrity? Uh, or either both? or. <laughs> both. Yeah. Sometimes Lorne would get mad at me and say that was really not cool. <laughs> a few times, the celebrity didn't so- But listen... I did have a reputation of the show of having balls. Uh, like Will Ferrell used to go, Hugh, you are fearless. Um, th- my favorite sketch that goes into the category of what you're saying that didn't get picked to be on the air mm-hmm. was when Val Kilmer hosted. <laughs> and look, he already had a reputation as being the most difficult person in Hollywood. <laughs> right, yeah. And so I wrote a sketch that he read at the table where he played a blockbuster video employee. Okay. And customers would come into the store. And I think I had Will Ferrell come in and go, um, he's standing like by the counter where Val's working. He goes, oh, Top Gun. I hear this is really good. And his friend goes, yeah, get that. And Will goes, is Val Kilmer in that? And the guy goes, yeah. And Will goes, I hear that guy's a real a-hole. <laughs> and uh, the other guy goes, yeah, you know, I've heard that too. And it was basically that everyone in the store just talked about what it? a bad guy Val Kilmer is. <laughs> um, and it's not that Val... It, he didn't seem offend. I mean, if he was offended, he didn't tell me that. Yeah. But the sketch didn't get picked. And when he kicked your ass right afterwards, afterwards. too, that was also probably indication. That, that may have been. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I I would pretty much, if, if I felt there was something smart for me to comment on mm-hmm. with the guests themselves, I wrote Robert Downey Jr.'s monologue right after he got out of jail. Oh, oh wow. That was a big deal. And yeah. um, of course, the... Cr- whole country was, what's he going to say? What's he yeah. going to say? So I remember he, I had him come out and go, hey, good to see you guys. Um, what's going on with me? You know, same old, same old. <laughs> and he goes, uh, I just had a summer, I had a long summer vacation. You want to see photos of it? <laughs> and basically the joke was every photo we cut to was him in prison clothes. So I had him at Disneyland <laughs> doing these benign things. He loved it. Oh, that's great. He totally embraced it. I did a monologue with Britney Spears that I think people remember. It was her first time hosting. Oh, yeah. Where she talked about two things. She said, you know, a lot of people say that I lip sync and that's not true. And what I scripted was, as she's talking, we pre-recorded everything she said. So suddenly her voice track went off from what she was saying. She's like, what I'm saying right now is in, is live. There's no tape <laughs> and the lips are moving. So we did that joke for a bit. Then she goes, and let's talk about my boobs. 
<laughs> Folks, these are real. Why would I possibly have? And as she's saying that, oh, I remember her this one. started moving. That was hilarious. Was and we had a remote control thing. <laughs> a guy had to sit there, a technician, pushing this button that made these mechanical boobs over her real boobs move. So it was, looked amazing. Yeah. That was that great. That was hilarious. So when you, all right, so <laughs> what inspired you? I'm, just, I'm, I'm imagining that you're writing this monologue, right? You've uh, already got the lip syncing thing. It was like, uh, how could I make Britney Spears' boobs move? Like, what? Right. I remember that um, Steve Higgins, who's now, you know, Jimmy Fallon's sidekick, mm-hmm. and he's also still a producer at Saturday Night Live, he was really good at telling me, you know, Hugh, just write... Don't worry about technically how we're going to pull it off. If you think that's funny to do something with her boobs moving, just script it. Mm-hmm. Then we'll worry about it later. Mm. So we scripted it. got big laughs in the room. I really didn't know what the answer was going to be. That's why Saturday Night Live has brilliant props people because yeah. they basically came up with this thing of, well, you know what? We can do this radio remote-controlled thing. <laughs> Who would have thought Amazing. of that? Yeah. You'd think it would be more an invisible string exactly. or something. Right. But that was pretty ingenious. Well, yeah. you know, and were, th- were they her boobs or were they fake boobs? They were um, they were her boobs. Wow. But, yeah, she's that's, got... That's a, you she's know, she's got something girl. to work with. That's <laughs> something good for her. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's probably great. also why she was proud to do the joke. Sure, right. why not? Right. Why not? So, so um, <laughs> being this sort of ballsy writer, right? So so you said, okay, I'm not afraid to make fun of... of uh, of celebrities, what about taboo subjects? Was that also something that was was in your wheelhouse? Well, your listeners will appreciate this. My first week on the job, I wrote a commercial parody, mm-hmm. and I'll just set up for you. It was it was like for a kid's toy, and you saw these little boys with what looked like baseball cards going, "Got them, need them, got them, <laughs> got them, need them," and then you the reveal is. The cards are those milk carton photos of missing oh. children. <laughs> oh, it was a product. So... It was a product called Abducto cards. Oh God, that's so, so bad. So it's bad but hilarious, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And no. the the writing staff loved. They uh, go, this yeah, is inspired you. Yeah. Well, the Saturday Night Live. One of the producers showed me a letter from NBC yeah. saying. This will never air. Uh-huh. Like they were yeah. so freaked out. They actually put I, it in writing. They put it in writing. I wow. could. I totally would expect that. Yeah. from NBC. And, and you know who's my biggest champion? Jack Handy. Oh yeah. The, you know he's a real guy. Happy Jack Handy. And... Yeah, and uh, um, his uh, deep thoughts. Deep yeah. thoughts. Yeah. He loved it, and he he goes, they got to do this ad. <laughs> but it's interesting because you know when I wrote that ad, I'm a single guy, mm-hmm. didn't have kids. Not that I wouldn't necessarily write it now that I do have kids, yeah. right. but it's not, you know, there's just a purity to thinking, I'm going to write what I think is funny and subversive, and that's yeah. what the show is, yeah. and I was sort of surprised. Mm-hmm. I re- Honestly, yeah. I was sort of like, well, it's not vulgar, it's dark. Right. It's super yeah. dark. Yeah, it's super dark. But. but that was my approach. Yeah. Now, what about writing on a deadline? Okay, at Saturday Night Live, all we hear about is just this constant, like, you're there, and they're churning it out, and and writing on a deadline is the scariest thing it's for scary. writers at all. I mean, I'm used to it, I guess, just because I tend to like to write in spurts, mm-hmm. like when I feel, I'm going to do this, and I just mm-hmm. force myself to do it as opposed to leisurely. But I understand you can't write a screenplay in a night. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. You can write a sketch mm-hmm. in an hour mm-hmm. if you're on a roll. You can't write a screenplay in an hour. Um, but the deadline, it, it affects different 
people different ways, including me. Like sometimes I would sit there till midnight the night before the sketch was due going, I got nothing. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm pay-. And then at 2 in the morning, have a few ideas. Other times, I'd come in Monday before the Saturday show armed with several ideas that I was excited to write and be done by, you know, Tuesday night. So that's my answer to deadlines. Now, what about the collaborative process? I mean, you're working with, with you know, Tina Fey, mm-hmm. among others, and was she head writer at the time? She only was my final season. She, she was co-head writer with Dennis McNicholas. Now, does that, it, does that sort of, after you've written something, are the co-heads looking at it? Not really. Then? It's very different than a sitcom where that's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. At Saturday Night Live, the head writer's job, I would say, is more after the fact, meaning once the sketches have been picked for the week, their job is to help fine-tune them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. take Lorne Michaels' feedback and tell you, hey, here's what we're thinking. But ultimately, it's your sketch. It's the most powerful uh, writer's medium on television, Yeah, Saturday Night Live. There's no mm-hmm. show that gives the writer as much power. Mm-hmm. And even if the head writer says, you should lose this, if you feel really strongly, you can, you know, argue your point or say, you know what, I disagree, I want to check with Lauren. I mean, and it's, I don't mean to say that it's all confrontational. Right. But I, the role of the head writer at that show is very different than what it's on, is on a scripted So they're, they're like at a sort of polishing phase. Yeah, and, and polishing and cutting. Because what happens is a lot of sketches – come in a little long. Oh, yeah. So that you don't want to increase the amount. You want to shorten them. But does Lorne have final say over everything? Everything, and, and he will weigh in. Absolutely. Every time. Every time. Yeah. Every time. Now, at, sure. the, at the very, it says here that during your final season, you received an Emmy. I did. For outstanding writing for a comedy program. That was cool. Man. <laughs> we were nominated the year before, which was 9-11. That mm-hmm. was the wow. year that I like to make jokes about. I don't know if you remember is they held the Emmys, but they had this whole thing of, yeah. in deference to 9-11, it's not going to be black tie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's really sending a message yeah, to Al-Qaeda. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're, we're going to have the ceremony, but it's only going to be, you know, business casual. <laughs> yeah. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And they didn't have a party. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like either have I the remember. damn Emmys or don't. Exactly. Right. Yeah. In fact, the NBC flew those of us who wanted to go to the Emmys. I went. Yeah, of Some course. of the staff didn't go. Really? Yeah. But I showed up. We, we lost. Then the next year, we won, which mm-hmm. is right after I, the, the season completed. I, I was leaving the show, and we won. Ah. So that was cool. And Conan O'Brien was the host that year. And I'm friendly with Conan. I've appeared several times as a stand-up yeah. on his show. And mm-hmm. Obviously, he start, started at SNL. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was neat to have him read our names. Now, now, uh, as far as your appearances on, you know, as a comedian, you've been on Late Show with David Letterman, Conan O'Brien. Um, I, do you like being out in front of the camera? I love more it. Than, do you like it more than 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 being behind, or is it just these Equal, are the two jobs I certainly you have? like it equally. Hmm. I wouldn't say that I like it less. Um, at this point in my career, I do really enjoy both, but sometimes I definitely get a hankering to want to be on camera. Um, which you, if you're just a writer, you never get to. But with my, since I really have started off, you know, I still consider myself a comedian first who became a writer producer. Mm-hmm. Sort of that's my heart and soul. But I don't travel and do the road and club scene right. as comedians 
often do to make the living. Right. I used to, but I don't anymore. Yeah, right. We had a couple of stand-ups on lately. It's, uh-huh. it's been a stand-up season oh, for cool. us. And, uh, and we've been trying to figure out, like, how do you build out from a joke into mm-hmm. a sketch or even take a joke and make it the premise for a feature? That's Does a that really happen? great question. Um, I've attempted, not successfully, I had one movie deal with producer Judd Apatow with an actor named Will Ferrell attached to Star. The problem was this was 1997. Mm. We were way ahead of the curve. Yeah, you were. Judd and his, you know, brilliance recognized how talented Will was. Judd and I go way back as friends and comedians. He hired me and another writer friend to develop this project for Will. But it didn't get made. Uh, That's the only feature. hmm. And then I should say the other thing I had, which might be on my resume, I co-wrote the Muppets NBC movie. Yeah. That was a... That was fantastic. Now, that was an hour TV movie. How fun. Yeah. And that was definitely the process of screenwriting. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, it was taking existing characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. But what was the premise of that particular The special? premise was, and I'll give him credit, you know, Paul Williams, the yeah. Emmy Award winning Hall of Fame writer. Mm-hmm. It was his premise. It was that, you know, kids write letters to the North Pole all the time. Well, the Muppets are working at a New York City post office. And Fonzie, Fozzie Bear, Fozzie Bear, Fonzie Winkler, Fozzie, by his own mistake, drops some of the letters and they don't get mailed. Oh. And he feels horrible. And so he has to make it up to the three people Kids who wrote it. the letter. Aww. So that was the premise. That's, that's cool. It was really mm-hmm. cool. We shot it in Brooklyn. And we had amazing cameos. We had Uma Thurman, Nathan Lane, Whoopi Goldberg, Mayor Bloomberg. Wow. It was really cool. <laughs> fun. They were all, all fun, yeah. And do you, did you write those cameos in, or did you just say, like, wish, uh, di- wishful thinking? Well, NBC and Disney would tell us. Oh, here, who you could get. Yeah, now I had to go to Uma Thurman's apartment and pitch her. To do it, Aww. that was that was really fun. Poor guy. Yeah, yeah you exactly. had yeah. to. Oh my god. Was she in her yellow jumpsuit when you did? She was that? not in her yellow jumpsuit, but she was in her splendor. It was like kiss, kiss, both sides. So oh, yeah. tell me what the part is. Uh-huh. And I will say, in credit to Uma, she had some thoughts about her part that were pretty great, and cool. we used everything she suggested. And I have to say, that's rare. Usually, I think an actress <laughs> will pitch things that are bad. Uh. Her ideas were good. And she did say that. She wanted to do the movie because her kids, I think she has one or two, were really, oh, my God, Mom, the Muppets are so cool. Yeah. That's why she did it. Oh, fun. How yeah. fun. And now, like, the, the Muppets are all hip again. They are hip yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. And that, by the way, that TV movie did really well. It was number one that night on the networks, and it's been repeated a lot. Because it's a Christmas story, so Christmas they can yeah. you know, they and can show it every year. They can show it every year. It's yeah. kind of timeless. I yeah. do think that it was, in my biased opinion, one of the better... TV movies that have been made for the Muppets because it's just yeah. you know it's funny premise the jokes were good it holds up so it's yeah, yeah. hopefully be repeated for a while yeah so right now I'm going to jump to uh, what you're producing right now. You're the creator and executive producer of a Nick Jr. series called Parental Discretion with Stephanie Wilder Taylor. So this the the premise of this is this is like after the kids go to sleep, right? Can can you tell us a little bit more about it? You've done your homework. <laughs> uh, Nick Jr., which usually shows during the day, Dora the Explorer and mm-hmm. things for little kids. After the kids have gone to sleep, 
moms can grab a glass of wine, curl up on their couch with their significant others, and watch more late-night adult comedy programming. So my show is sort of the flagship of the group of shows. It's mm. a comedy talk show hybrid, mm-hmm. meaning Stephanie Wilder-Taylor, who's a fabulous comedian, writer, blogger. She's the host. She does a monologue in front of a studio audience. But then she goes out and does field pieces on the town. Mm. You know, the, anything that's parent or mom related, where she'll talk to people on location. We have a segment called Circle Time, where Stephanie's joined by three funny moms who have different perspectives, and they sort of debate and discuss a topic. For example, is it okay to discipline someone else's kids? <laughs> or is it, is it okay for you, your kid, to be disciplined by, by somebody, somebody else? else? That's right. And you get, you know, <laughs> in the way that Chelsea Handler's right. backbone of her show is when she sits around with yeah. those group. Like Bill Maher and exactly, those, yeah, exactly. This is a really risky program, and yeah. this, is why, this is why because Adip, you know this now yeah. from just uh. sticking your toe into. I, I don't want to be sexist, but the mommy culture—that's oh, unfortunately I'm, what what it's I'm it's called. Where it really should culture. be the parent culture, and yeah. that's, right. that's part of the problem. Yeah. But 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 even sticking your toe in, people get so upset. Oh my God, it's they, crazy. They lose. Mm. You have a child and for like the first year of life, you you, you just lose your sense of humor. It went out yeah. the the vaginal passage or something. Yeah. You just, you cannot laugh at anything. You're right. All of a sudden. And suddenly, people are like, that's not funny. That's yeah. not funny. So, Vaginal passage. I just vaginal said that on my own. I said, is that, okay, good. Um, but I, I, or vaginal passage. Yeah, I just, that's I can't. Your... We've never even used the V word on this show. I know. We've said it three times. Yeah. But what I are people writing you and saying, oh, I can't believe you're joking about that. There's been some of that, honestly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And to me, I always believe if you're doing a comedy show. If you're doing it right, there's going to be people yeah, who are pissed true, off. True. That's always a good sign. Yeah. But as a mom, you're you said it very well. Especially moms of newborns and like your age child, um, when you're new at it, people feel a little defensive and judged. So they're very um, iffy about jokes if they think that the jokes are aimed at them. Is that why my wife's always mad at me? That's why she's mad. Oh, okay. And you know, and the other stuff. Yeah, 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 and because you're wrong about everything. Yeah, just remember that. That's right. But Stephanie Wilder Taylor has a great approach, which is she said. The reason we created the show was all these advice books on uh, how to parent. Yeah, God. Garbage. Who are these people? It's garbage. Yeah. And Stephanie took such resentment yeah. at those books because she has she has three girls, two twins, and an older girl. Uh-huh. And she said she felt so judged. Yeah. So she wanted to, in a funny way, let moms know that the best parenting is your instincts. Exactly. And so you're going to make mistakes. So the premise of the show is to poke fun of ourselves as moms and parents. Yeah. But also, of course, poke fun of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we did, um, th- there's a partially scripted part of the show uh, where Stephanie would interview different types of moms. So she'd go, now for a take on birthday parties, let's go to helicopter mom. <laughs> and the joke is, it was a mom in a in helicopter. A helicopter. Yeah, and as she's talking, she's like going, Dylan, stay away from that candle. <laughs> Pretty amazing, right? Then we had um, Crunchy Mom, yeah. who was out like on this commune with sitar music playing in the background. Right. And, you know, so I think we really have tapped into the zeitgeist of the mommy culture, yeah. and in a pretty, you know, slightly subversive way. 
Yeah. That's great. It would be so nice to make that acceptable, to be able to just joke around. Well, you know, I, I'm Absolutely. writing these essays for this mom magazine online, and the notes that I get, I don't get that many notes, but they're always like, eh, you can't go that far. Like, you can't joke about that, you know? And, and they're very cool. Like, they'll let me write just about anything, but they will draw the line somewhere. And it's like, but that's what it it's really like. Right. That's what this culture, it, like, everyone's a hypersensitive and they just need to relax and just go, yeah, we're going to screw up. Like, yeah. that's just part of the deal. And I definitely feel more like I'm, um, like I'm a visitor in mommy culture as a dad because I'm not all the way in. I know? think there's no way to not yeah. feel that way because yeah. as a dad and a guy yeah, hanging out like, with Stephanie and the other writers on our show who are all female, yeah. it's fascinating to me how much, you know, no matter what we do or try to do, we're not going to be accepted as another mom yeah like we're gonna fall short yeah do something wrong or be judged by the mom because we're not breastfeeding and we're all not, that's, you know all that, all stuff, that stuff which is which, which is kind of stinks i mean if that's it's probably for another podcast or for your show <laughs> but that idea that you know we want uh fathers to be in, in, inclusive right and, and to be part of the experience yeah. and yet we're constantly sort of shoving them out of the way <laughs> right. even with the language that we use right. you know mommy and me classes right. and yeah. all that stuff yeah you know um i don't know that's, that's right yeah. So now, now, so you have an all-female staff. Mm-hmm. Um, is that on purpose, or is it's that just purpose. sort of the way it went? No, I took pride in going. Uh, I created the show with Stephanie, and going. This topic is so specific. Is mm-hmm. as, as many brilliant com- comedians and writers I know who are guys. Mm-hmm. I don't think they can nail the unique perspective in the way that moms can. Um, now, look, if our show was for moms and dads, I wouldn't feel that way. But the show, at least now, really is geared to moms. Mm-hmm. So that's why I went for a virtually all-female staff. We had four writers, three of whom are moms. One w- was a woman who's not a mom. But the other three are moms. Now, how's it going? Is, is it- It's going great. I mean, we, we're done for this first season taping. Mm-hmm. We have ten new episodes that are going to start airing next week. Cool. So 16 have aired. Um, I think that it's still a bit under the radar. There needs mm-hmm. to be more promotion and press. But the little that has been, I think we've gotten really good feedback. And so we're proud of the show. Congratulations. Thank you. It's, what a risk, you know, yeah. Yeah. To, to say to Nick Jr., <laughs> this is going to be a late night talk show. And, you know, we, were not, we didn't hold back. They looked at my credits. They know what I do. Right. Um, Stephanie wrote the book, Sippy Cups Are Not for Chardonnay. Right, right. <laughs> you know, has a lot of bite what? to it. They're not? What? <laughs> <laughs> um, so at least we came clean on, look, yeah, if you invest in the show, with. here's what you're getting. Yeah. But I think we very much have delivered exactly what, we said we would. Mm-hmm. So people should watch that show. They should. And uh, what time is it on on Nick Jr.? That's a great question, Pilar, but I'd rather <laughs> answer it by saying the times, because it's Nick Jr., change a lot. So mm-hmm. the best thing to do is just look up the title of the show, Parental Discretion, mm-hmm. but it's on twice a week. Great, great. That's the best way to say it. And if you mm-hmm. just focus on the title, you'll find the air date, depending on where you live. And is there anything else that you want to get out there, promote? It's, is there a HughFink.com? There's not, unfortunately. I will what? say that um, I, I sh- there should be. After the yeah. show, I'll create it. Yeah. I will say that I have a nice little cameo in the movie This Is 40, <gasps> which just came out. What? Wait a second. I wait, just wait, saw that. So, yeah, me too. Wait, wait, who are you? I'm the guy who, when Megan Fox uh-huh. is uh-huh. in the ladder. Oh, that's you? And I'm the one who goes... Um, 
why don't you just take out my credit card? That's so you. Say, uh, which, by the way, is a line that I improvised because Judd Apatow, that's how he works. He basically told Megan Fox and me what the scene is, but mm-hmm. it was not written. Okay. And he just had us play and do back and forth stuff, and that was a line that I did, and he kept that in. That was awesome. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's very that quick, was... very quick catch No, up, but it, you know what? It was one that. of my favorite parts of the whole oh, movie. Oh, good. So. Congratulations. Yeah. I, well, I was in such <laughs> shell shock as I was watching the movie because I was like, wait, is Judd Apatow stalking me? What? What's going on? Did you on? feel that it hit a note with you? I felt like it was a home movie with more attractive people. Yes, That's, a lot of people commented on that. I was like, oh my God. No, to me, it was verbatim, including my girls. Who, That's how I felt. look and act just, just like, like that. I'd had the same fight with my 12-year-old right. about, about a sort of an internet kind of thing. And then I'm watching it. So I actually don't even know if the movie's good. I just know that for me, it was an experience. It That's a really, nice uh, review yeah mm. I think that the particularly the things between the daughters resonated to me as well because mm-hmm. yeah yeah and there's just sort of yeah there are some people you know who I, I'm wondering if you don't have that experience or know people who do whether it will if, if people will like it right I but, felt a little know. disconnected from it because mm-hmm. my kid is so much younger right yeah and I'm not quite there like I don't really have a stable career, so I don't know what it's like to to like have it, and then it's going away. Right, you're yeah. losing this huge. thing. Yeah, yeah. So so and and then the attractiveness part. It's like, what are you complaining about? You're so good looking. Like, just uh, be happy and right, good looking, right. and you're bored. I don't know. So relax. <laughs> right. You know. There but, was there was one part in the movie where they actually have to explain why she's so hot. That that part. Uh, yeah, that was, was like, like I work out so much because I'm so neurotic. I'm like okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, frankly, a lot of my friends missed my cameo because they were just staring at Megan Fox. At Megan Fox, Fox yeah. <laughs> so when I yeah, tell them, they're like, true. oh, really? I do remember, but I was just looking at her. Okay, I don't feel so bad. And yeah. she's very funny, damn she's funny. it. I yeah. can't believe she's that pretty and she's funny. How sucky is that? I can yeah. see you hating that. Oh, God. <laughs> like, oh, no, I got to give her a prop. She was really good. She was good. Yeah. yeah. It's a good, Well, like I said, if you, I think, you know, episode by episode, people might enjoy it and look for Hugh look, look for, for me and definitely including you watch Parental Discretion yes. Junior because yeah. I'll say that it's not the view or the Today Show we're not trying to inform we're yeah. just trying to be funny Yeah, that's... but I think out of true comedy as a parent you'll watch it and go oh that's interesting Yeah, and I've heard people comment that they've actually found it informative even though it's a comedy show and that's why The Daily Show is so popular yeah. in Colbert Report it's that same thing it's using comedy to inform and entertain and uh, that's it's more palatable yeah yeah like you're doing it wrong and this is you know right because that's what parents hate this is just like everybody gives you their opinion exactly that's you right can do it it's like, humor yeah then it's easier to go down yeah. now um a deep let's Uh-oh. out you about a show that you are going to be on <laughs> yeah i couldn't say anything before but right. now it's out it's in the out world. like cat's out of the bag now Tell everybody i'm going to be on the food network's season four of worst cooks in america <laughs> as a recruit <laughs> on chef ann burrell's team and uh, i'm the lone vegetarian oh. so just just watch and uh it's sunday airs sunday nights at 9 p.m oh my on the gosh. food network uh starting february 17th if only we could like text in and vote. It's not fair. I know. I wish because uh, then I, I was like, I totally have it in the bag because people will be like, keep it deep. That's know, so. right. But I'm still a terrible cook. So. 
<laughs> well, everybody tune into yeah. that. I posted the link on the Facebook page. <laughs> it's real. Page. It's not uh, one of my weird hoaxes or anything. It's a yeah. uh, you it's know, really it's, happening. it's really happening. And yeah, so uh, <laughs> if you want to, you know, get little links like that and other things, remember to go to the on the page Facebook page because uh, post little things all the time and stuff about the podcast, yeah. things like that. Um, I'll, a reminder to uh, watch Hugh's show will be on there too. Um, also, I want to say that this particular podcast was brought to you by two people who donated to the podcast. Vince Bailey, who donated $50. Thank you, Vince, very nice. much for your donation. And Terrence Cleary, who donated 100 bucks. Wow. Yeah, they are Thanks. paying a deep today. Yay. So thank you very much, you guys. <laughs> I appreciate it. A deep's going to raise his rate on me now. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> Just doubled to $4. <laughs> Remember, if you guys want to donate to the show, go to uh, onthepage.tv, the regular website. Go down to the podcast page, click on it, and then a, a page will come up and there's a little donation button if you want. Um, also, remember to go to onthepage.tv because the rewrite class will be starting very, very soon. It's not starting in March. It's starting end of February. Oh. So it's going to run for six Saturdays. You're going to be rewriting your script one element at a time or just bringing an outline in and finishing your damn script. Oh, you can do that? Yeah, so think of it as like an advanced screenwriting class. It's not Mm. necessarily just for rewriting. Um, And uh, I think that's about it. I think that's all the business we have. Yeah, Yeah. business. Yeah. Yeah. Hugh, thank you so much for being here. This was a blast. Great show. Thank you. You were really great. And are are you on Twitter and whatnot? Are you Twitter? Not regularly, but I am. Okay. But your show's inspiring me to Ah. keep up my social media. There you go. Hughfink.com. Got to put that up there. there. And uh, you can follow Adeep at at Adeep. And I will be live tweeting the episodes, so when you see something explode, you might get a little insight you on know, why. You know, I don't follow anybody except my husband and my husband, as you know, right? <laughs> right. My husband and his show, Rock Solid. <laughs> but for that, for that day, I would probably follow you. Because I be, want to know you live tweeting. It's going to be insane. I might just break down and do it. Then I'm going to unfollow you. Because I really am <laughs> one of the worst cooks in America. No Come question. Over. Do, you know, do you know I can actually cook? Did you know that? No, I didn't, yeah. I didn't expect that. I'll teach you how to, how to cook, and okay. I won't yell at you. How about Yay, that? Yay, cool. Yeah, made granola last night. Nice. I know. <laughs> Crunchy mom. <laughs> Crunchy mom. <laughs> All right, we're going to go. All I'm right. going to go teach class. Thank you, Hugh. Thank, Thank you, Adeep. You. Thank you, everybody out there, and have a good writing week. 